politics, culture, chaos. It's time to make sense of it all. It's time to have a little fun. This is your afternoon dose of sanity. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. Indeed it is, and a uh, busy day, as you can imagine, this afternoon. Still reeling from a terror attack yesterday. And the absolute incompetence of this administration. I hope you caught this morning on the show my interview with Ryan Mannion from the Travis Mannion Foundation. Ryan's the president of that foundation, which is, of course, named after her brother, Travis Mannion, uh, who was killed in the war on terror. And Ryan told me a story of how she here stateside worked with Marines in Kabul to get a family from Philadelphia that was turned away by the Taliban at one of the checkpoints to get them home. And we're hearing stories of this all over. The State Department, the government, they're all lying, telling everybody that, yeah, they're getting everybody, they're, they're reaching out to people. They're not. It's a, it's a lie. It's, it's, it's a gigantic lie. They're not reaching out to all these people. There are, there are Americans desperate. There are Americans who don't know what to do. And, and we're still saying that we're going to have to coordinate with the Taliban. Jen Psaki at the White House press conference, which just wrapped up a short time ago, Jen Psaki on evacuating Americans after August 31st. We will need to coordinate with the Taliban. How are we going to coordinate with the Taliban after we leave when they're not helping us now? They're not. The U.S. is not guaranteeing that American friends and visa holders will be able to get out after August 31st. White House just said that as well. We are not guaranteeing that we will be able to get you out after August 31st. Of course not. They can barely get you out now. They, They can barely get you out now. So of of course it's it's they can't guarantee that who would who would expect that, and and I think you know what in fact why don't I, let me play that for you so you can hear it yourself I want you to make sure that you are fully up to date I like playing these audio clips for you so you get a real sense of the stuff that just wrapped up moments ago here let's see if we can take a listen from after August thirty first for people who will still be on the ground in Afghanistan and want to get out. Is, does the U.S. right now have a vision of a process that they will use to get people out after August 31st? Like, and, and what is the commitment after August 31st? Is it absolute? If you want to get out of Afghanistan and you are, you know, that you and you help the U.S. military, you're an Afghan, you'll be able to get out. Um, if you're a, a green card holder or someone else who wants to get out, of, uh, uh, will you? Is the U.S. guaranteeing? that you will be able to get out. I don't think we can guarantee, but what we can do is work toward, and this is what the president directed the Secretary of State to continue diplomatic efforts with international partners to secure means for third country nationals, Afghans with visas who may be eligible for our programs, of course, any American citizen who remains in country to leave the country even after the U.S. military presence ends. There's a means of mechanisms for that. Those conversations are ongoing. That's our objective. Our commitment does not change. On October th- on August thirty first, obviously we need to figure out the operational mechanisms, which is the conversation that's underway. But but we can't guarantee that we'll be able to get you out of there. We can't guarantee we can get people out of there now. That that's that's the reality. We we can't guarantee that we're getting people out now. Ryan Mannion said today that the people that she's talking to over there in Afghanistan are saying they are not hearing from the State Department. 
And then, of course, you have this gem here from Jen Psaki from the White House today. A part of that would certainly be having a coordinated approach and engagement with the Taliban, because in order to continue to evacuate uh, any American citizen who was not yet prepared to leave, who wants to leave third country nationals and Afghans with visas, we will need to coordinate with the Taliban. We will need to coordinate with the Taliban. The, The same people that we were shooting at 10 minutes ago, the terrorists over there, and now we need to coordinate with them to get Americans home. Man, man. Here's a little bit of a mix of uh, Obama this administration officials. going to collapse rapidly because of the way in which we, we got out. I think of John Kennedy and the Bay of Pigs. It unfolded quickly and uh, uh, the president thought that everything would be fine and uh, that was not the case. It has created a global crisis, quite frankly. You cannot defend the execution here. This has been a disaster. Well, they clearly were caught off guard by the events over the last 72 hours. How his decision was made to withdraw, but then its execution, uh, which has been so far catastrophic. Our national security is threatened. Yes is uh, a Dunkirk moment or perhaps a Saigon moment. This tragedy was completely preventable. Nobody wants the Saigon image and obviously we ended up with another Saigon image. It's kind of like the Dunkirk evacuation. We do have to regard the recent turn of events as creating a real risk uh, of of another terrorist organization, whether it's ISIS-K, Al-Qaeda, trying to reestablish a foothold in Afghanistan. It's a really rough time. It didn't need to be this way. The fact that there was little to no real planning done. I'm left with some grave question in my mind about his ability, speaking about the president, to lead our nation as commander-in-chief, to have read this so wrong, or even worse, to have understood what was likely to happen and not care. Admit the mistakes that were made. So they were behind the curve from the beginning of the announcement. The situation is absolutely heartbreaking. Um, It is tragic. Uh, It's disastrous. And the execution in particular does not speak to competency. They will provide a safe haven for al-Qaeda. It's a failure. And he needs to own that failure. He's the commander-in-chief. It has emboldened uh, violent uh, Islamic radicals. So they... I might be doing a little bit of high-fiving. That was put together by the RNC. Those are all Obama officials talking. Leon Panetta, David Axelrod, Obama's former ambassador to Afghanistan, Jay Johnson, the Homeland Security Secretary. And Kamala Harris started cackling again today. What is it with her and the cackle? What is it with her and the laughter? She may become president soon. Because Biden clearly is not is not there. So, but is she always just going to laugh and do that snarky laugh? Is that here she is, posing for pictures with people, acting like everything's fine, and then they they start asking her about Afghanistan, cheering her on. Just walks away. Just walks away after doing a little snarky little. What what is it with the snark level in this administration? Everything from Jen Psaki to the vice president. It's 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 amazing. All right. So right now the Pentagon is giving a press briefing, and what they were talking about was actually all of the Afghan refugees who'll be coming to places like Philadelphia International Airport, which is now going to be one of the major hubs for Afghan refugees. And I actually got uh, somebody from CHOP reached out to me today to ask for volunteers. CHOP's looking for volunteers to help screen these refugees for COVID. 
in all seriousness. So if you're interested in doing that, you can reach out to CHOP. Uh, I'll try to get more details for Monday. Right now, we are bringing refugees to our airport right here in Philadelphia in our area and other major airports around the country. It's funny it, it, because they were discussing the airport in Kabul. And they said today, this is not like O'Hare Airport in Chicago. This is a small town airport. So again, we gave up Bagram Air Force Base to be at a small town airport that we cannot control that is that that is that is essentially that we are still relying on the Taliban for security even today. The United States is warning right now that another terror attack is is imminent. Is imminent. U.S. officials made clear at the time when they um, made this agreement that the agreement was conditions based, and the failure of intra-Afghan peace talks to reach a negotiated settlement would have nullified the requirement to withdraw. One day before the Doha deal, a top aide to Chief U.S. Negotiator, Negotiator Zalmay Khalizad said the agreement was not irreversible, and there is no obligation for the United States to withdraw troops if the Afghan parties are unable to reach agreement or if the Taliban show bad faith during negotiations. Those negotiations were intended to begin with a month of the deal being signed, but were delayed amid disputes between the Taliban and the Afghan government over prisoner releases. Amid fits and starts, the negotiations had not produced any outcome by the time Biden announced his withdrawal decision in April, nor have they done so since. Because Biden keeps saying that he inherited this bad deal from Trump, the Trump-Taliban deal. And that's not true. Because the Doha deal, when, when, when this deal was made, there had to be all kinds of things, and it was not irreversible, and it was very conditional. And Biden knows that. Well, maybe he doesn't know that, but his people know that. Of course it was not signed in stone, and even if it was, we could have turned around and said we changed our mind. What are you going to do? What are you, you going to do? We were still in charge. We still had the military there. That's the, that's the reality here. And they, and they know that. I mean, they, they understand that. State Department can't say how many Afghan special immigrant visa holders have been evacuated from Kabul. This is just a few moments ago. The goal has been to put as many people as possible on planes. They can't. They still can't say how many have been evacuated. We still can't say how many are over there right now. I, I, I tell you, it's it's amazing how we're watching all this unfold, and at no point is this administration turning around and saying, "Hey, you know what? We have to we have to call an audible here." And we got to we got to stop we got to stop doing this. Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Scheller, the company commander for the Advanced Infantry Training Battalion in Camp Lejeune, publicly voiced the frustration many of the military and veteran communities are feeling in the aftermath of the Taliban retaking Afghanistan and the botched evacuations at Hamid Karzai International Airport that has now resulted in the deaths of at least thirteen service members. He noted his this from townhall.com. He noted he started his 17 year career as an infantry man with a unit that is currently conducting security at the airport in Kabul and knows one of the Marines who was killed in action on Thursday. And he made a video because he says, I have a growing discontent and contempt for my perceived ineptitude. Let me let you hear a little bit of this guy. Remember, it, whenever you call out the top brass, you're risking your career. But this is really important to hear here. And I'm going to play a little bit of this for you. Good evening. My name is Lieutenant Colonel Stu Scheller. United States Marine Corps. I'm sorry about that. Good evening. My name is Lieutenant Colonel Stu Scheller, United States Marine Corps. I'm the current battalion commander for Advanced Infantry Training Battalion. I've been in the Marine Infantry for 17 years. Started my tour with Victor 1-8. It's the current unit that's doing perimeter security, dealing with the mess that's going on there. I, you can see open source reporting that there was an explosion and some people were killed. I know through my inside channels that one of those people that were killed 
was a someone that I have a personal relationship with. We won't go into more details because the families are still being notified. Not making this video because uh, it's you know potentially an emotional time. Making it because I have a growing discontent and contempt for my perceived ineptitude at the foreign policy level, and I want to specifically ask some questions to some of my senior leaders. And I'll say, as a person that's not at 20 years, um, I feel like I have a lot to lose. If you play chess, you can only see two to three moves out because there's too many variables. I thought through if, if I post this video, what might happen to me, especially if the video picks up traction, if I have the courage to post it. But I think what you believe in can only be defined by what you're willing to risk. So if I'm willing to risk my current battalion commander's seat, my retirement, my family's stability to say some of the things that I want to say, I think it gives me some moral high ground to demand the same honesty, integrity, accountability from my senior leaders. And so I want to start with, we'll just use the Marine Corps, my, we'll just stick with the Marine Corps. So in the current fallout of Afghanistan, a lot of Marines were posting on social media and in response to that, the Commandant published a letter, which is the service chief of the Marine Corps. And I want to read from it. It was dated 18 August, so only a week ago. The Commandant, sir, you wrote, some of you may be struggling with a simple question. Was it all worth it? We want you to know that your service is meaningful, powerful, and important. You fought for the Marine to your left and the Marine to your right. You never let them down. And then you go on to say that you know, if we're, we're struggling, we should, we should seek counseling, which, you know, I get it. People have killed people. Um, I've killed people, and I, and I seek counseling, um, and that's fine. There's a time and place for that. But the reason people are so upset on social media right now is not because the Marine on the battlefield let someone down. That service member has always rose to the occasion and done extraordinary things. People are upset because their senior leaders let them down, and none of them are raising their hands and accepting accountability or saying, we messed this up. If an 05 battalion commander has uh, the simplest live fire incident EO complaint, boom, fired. But we have a secretary of defense that testified to Congress in May that the Afghan National Security Force could withstand the Taliban advance. We have chairmen of Joint Chief, who the commandant is a member of that, who's supposed to advise on military policy. We have a Marine combatant commander. All of these people are supposed to advise. And I'm not saying we've got to be in, the, in Afghanistan forever, but I am saying... Did any of you throw your rank on the table and say, hey, it's a bad idea to evacuate Bagram Airfield, the strategic Bravo. air base, before Bravo. we evacuate everyone? Mm -hmm. Did anyone do that? Bravo. And when you didn't think to do that, did anyone raise their hand and say, we completely messed this up? I've got battalion commander friends right now that are posting similar things, and they're saying, you know, wondering if it, all the lives were lost and, and if it was in vain, all those, all those people that we've lost over the last you know, 20 years. And he goes on to say that we're all part of a chain. While every link may not be tested, the strength of the chain is only as strong as each link, and you got to be, you know, good link, something like that. And what I'll say is, and from my position, potentially all those people did die in vain if we don't have senior leaders that own up and, and raise their hand and say, we did not do this well in the end. Without that, we just keep repeating the same mistakes, this amalgamation of the economic-slash-corporate-slash-political-slash-higher-military ranks are not holding up their end of the bargain.
I want to say this very strongly. I have been fighting for 17 years. I am willing to throw it all away to say to my senior leaders, I demand accountability. He's risking his career saying all this, but he has to say it. And that that says a lot right there. I think that says a lot right there. Today, John Kirby, the Pentagon spokesman, was asked a very simple question. Can we rule out that the Taliban was involved in this terror attack yesterday? Our friends, our besties, the Taliban, the ones who are providing our security. That idiot general keeps saying that they are providing our security. They are protecting us, the Taliban. So can we rule out that they had a role in this terror attack? Jen. John, how can you say with such certainty and how can General McKenzie say with such certainty that the Taliban were not involved in this suicide bombing? I understand that you're reliant on them for protection around the airport, but are you ruling out them being involved because you're so dependent on the Taliban right now? Actually, I didn't hear General McKenzie put it that way, Jen. In fact, I think the uh, in one of the questions he got, and I think it was Idris's, you know, he said, Idris asked, was there a failure? And the general said, of course, there was a failure somewhere, obviously. Um, and he even alluded to the fact that it, it could have been um, at a, a Taliban checkpoint. Um, so I don't, we've, we've not been certain about that at all. There will be an investigation. We'll try to learn as much as we can about what happened. And I really don't want to get ahead of that process. I think it's important to know it now, though, and not down the road, since they are providing our security. They're providing our security. So I, I actually disagree. I think really we should know that now uh, so that we don't have any more terror attacks. If the Taliban is letting in ISIS-K, which of course they are, you know it and I know it too. Everybody know. Everybody who studies this knows this. They're just, again, the administration is lying again. Everybody knows this. David Asher today was on with me. He's an expert in this. And he said it. There is no way ISIS-K could have got through those checkpoints without Taliban cooperation. Wearing this massive suicide vest, because now it turns out there's only one suicide bomber. And, and then the, the people shooting, the gunmen. It could never have happened without Taliban support. Of course the Taliban helped out with this. And we can't act like we're Monday morning quarterback this. We have to absolutely deal with it now. We've got to deal with it now. This is this is this is what I mean. The Taliban are now doing everything. Here's Richard Engel, NBC News. If you don't believe me, I'm sure you do. You always believe me. Why would I? Because I'm always honest with you. But NBC News saying the exact same thing. Listen to this, Richard Engel. Was every soldier and marine in Kabul's worst fear an attack where they're most exposed? As troops were patting down an evacuee at a Kabul airport gate, searching for a bomb, he or she—that's still unclear detonated one this is close-up war the breath of the person you are searching is upon you while we have overwatch in place we still have to touch the clothes of the person that's coming in ultimately americans have got to be in danger to do these searches there's really there's really no other way to do it another bomb exploded a few hundred yards from the first as isis fighters sprayed gunfire afghans tumbled dead and injured into a sewage ditch we drove through this exact spot a few days ago a corridor flanked by concrete blast walls that leads right to an airport gate the u.s is relying on the taliban to pre-screen the crowds pushing to get into the airport hoping for a flight out of afghanistan patting them down before they're checked again by U.S. troops. This staggeringly new and bizarre security cooperation broke down. Clearly, if, if, 
they were able to get up uh, to the Marines at the, at the screening at the, at the entry point of the base there's a failure somewhere. It was a failure by, well, uh, you know, the Taliban operate with varying degrees of competence. Some of those guys are very scrupulously good. Some of them are not. Just a few weeks ago, the U.S. was bombing the Taliban. But when U.S. troops pulled out, triggering the collapse of the Afghan army, now there's no one left but the Taliban to protect American forces as they leave. ISIS-K, an ISIS offshoot, claimed responsibility. Many of their fighters and other extremists, including al-Qaeda members, were in Afghan jails. But when U.S.-backed Afghan forces melted away, the prisoners escaped and for the past few weeks have been on the loose. They have one clear target, the Kabul airport, where nearly all the Americans in Afghanistan are gathered and are still gathering until they leave. Shocking. It really is. It's, um, we were bombing them a few weeks ago. <clears throat> now they are our security detail. And, and we, this government refuses to acknowledge that uh, it's not working. It's not working, and that is another major problem. And so there's more going on right now. The Pentagon's doing a briefing. I'm going to give you some details on that as well. Uh, Essentially now, here's what the the top takeaways are. Uh, We are bringing in refugees. We can't guarantee everybody's going to be out by the August 31st deadline. We're still sticking to the August 31st deadline, and we can't can't guarantee that we're going to screen everybody properly to make sure they're not terrorists, and we can't guarantee that... Uh, that we're, we're going to get all our people uh, out safely. And then if they're stuck behind, we can't guarantee that we'll be able to get them out after the August 31st deadline. And this is what this is what is everything that's going on. And the evacuations are continuing and everybody's acting like it's fine. And some reporter today actually asked about the president's dog. About a report on, 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 on majors biting people. And whether or not if the administration is lying about that, we can trust them on anything. Good question. Normally in normal times, uh, but not so much now. Smart, funny podcast. This is the Rich Zioli Podcast. So where does that leave us today, and where are we with the rest of uh, of, of things going on in the world? Uh, it's still all back. It's still all about this, obviously, and, and uh, things are not going to change. Uh, we are going to have to go back in, apparently, is what uh, is what they're saying. We're going to have to go back in at some point because we, we screwed this up so badly that it's, uh, it's, it's, it's just inevitable. Uh, the White House press briefing, though, was something today. Yeah, I mean, even even Allison Camerata, uh, I'm sorry, not Allison Camerata, even Michael Shear in uh, from New York Times got into it today uh, with Saki. This is she got testy because actually members of the media are doing their job and asking questions. Well, not the stupid dog question, but but this question. Take take a listen here. Your message was the White House's message to Democrats who have expressed substantive concerns about the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Do you have any message to them or response to some Is of the Is there a specific piece? I mean, Congresswoman Susan Wilde, for example, has said that, you know, it's clear to me that we could not continue to put American service members in danger for an unwinnable war, but I also believe that the evacuation process appears to have been egregiously mishandled. So what's your response to something like that? Look, I, I don't have any direct response to any member of Congress, but I, what I will say is that it is easy to throw stones or be a critic from the outside. It is harder to be in their arena and make difficult decisions. And the decisions that a commander-in-chief has to make include, among difficult options, right? 
These were the options. You send tens of thousands of more troops in Afghanistan to potentially lose their lives. That's an option. Some have called some support that. That's their prerogative. You pull out and you don't put anyone at risk. You don't put troops at risk and you don't evacuate more than 105,000 people. That's another option. The option that he has chosen in coordination and based on the recommendations with his uh, military uh, commanders and advisors on the ground is to implement uh, an evacuation that has saved the lives potentially of more than 105,000 people. But let's stop it right here. You see, again, the choice that's made, either we send in everybody and they all die because of the Taliban, uh, our buddies, or uh, we just send in this, 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 this small group of people. And we lost 13 lives yesterday because we did not have enough firepower. See, it's so absurd to think, and this is maybe something, I guess, with, with, with leftists like her, which is that the more military we send in, then that means more people are going to die. No, think about it. We had had not a single loss of life for almost two years. And then we had the, the, the single biggest loss of life yesterday in decades. Why? Because we did not have enough forces there. And we were outnumbered by the savages. But what she's what, what Saki wants you to believe is no, I know actually, actually, if we would sent more in, they all would have died. It would have been mass death, 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 death. I guess they just think our military is that incompetent. And so sending in more bureaucrats is the answer. Certainly at risk of the men and women who are serving in the military, as we saw by the events of yesterday. That's the choice he's made. Because you didn't have enough people there. Apologies to my, to my colleagues, but like you guys have said repeatedly Thank you. Thank you. What was the what, what's the other well, choice for, anyone is offering? For, for example, the president could have said to the to the uh, Ghani government in May, look, we're going to start a mass evacuation of all of the U.S. personnel. We're going to put out an announcement that says, you know, we we advise all of our Afghan allies who work with us to start evacuating as well. It would have been a, 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 a show of no confidence in the Ghani government. There might have been other repercussions. I'm not suggesting that's the right way to have gone. I don't know. But, but it is another option, and I'm sure there's 10 other options that I haven't thought of that so why do you present it as these being the only two options? Exactly. Of course other options, but there are consequences to every option. That is my point. So let's take- Except this one. You notice that? Except this, th- th- there's no consequences to this option. And any consequence that happened, well, it was going to happen anyway. It was going to happen anyway. So if we set more in, it just would have been more people dead example if we had evacuated and moved in c-17s 6,000 troops i think that's what you're suggesting and implemented this evacuation in may you know what would have happened in all likelihood the threat on u.s oh forces here we go would have increased at that point why in time. they were already there okay you would have been operating in a, in a capital that wasn't over exactly over how do you know that because it wasn't. Well, the Taliban wasn't wasn't near it, Kabul. Thank you. Look, Mike, I, I think it's easy. To- I, 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 this is a New York Times reporter, and I got to give this guy great credit because he's saying exactly what I'd be saying right now if I was in the White House press room. You had Kabul secured. You had the country secured. So how can you even suggest it? Where you you were you had it. You gave it up. You gave it up. And then she said, "Well, Mike, it's easy to play Monday morning quarterback." 
play uh, backseat backseat driver right three months right. four months ago I think we've been clear on a couple of things I will just say no he's right no one anticipated I think including on the outside that the Afghan government would have fallen at the pace they fell and the president wrong the CIA your intelligence community warned you that if you leave then the government's going to fall. And also, all you had to do is pay attention to all the provinces around Afghanistan that slowly but surely were falling like dominoes to the Taliban. But you didn't do that now, did you? No. And members of our national security team have spoken to that as well. We didn't anticipate the Afghan national security forces would have folded as they did. We didn't anticipate that. Uh, and as a result you of that all happening, we saw a chaotic situation just two weeks ago. Uh, so you can always, my point in, the, in response to the question. I, is I, I, can't, I can't take it. You can always play Monday morning quarterback. Because this administration, the one thing about this administration is they refuse. They refuse to acknowledge that they screwed this up. They, they refuse. They, they won't do it. They just will not do it. They won't, they won't acknowledge that you made any mistakes. Nothing. Nothing. It is unbelievable to me. They just won't do it. I, if, if, one of the hallmarks of leadership is acknowledging, hey, we got it wrong. Yeah, we screwed up. Even John F. Kennedy came out and acknowledged the failure of the Bay of Pigs. Well, he didn't blame his predecessor. He could have. By the way, the poll numbers for Biden are terrible. Uh, the poll numbers are, are dropping like a rock for him. The United States of America is so angry right now. Two-thirds of Americans, 68%, say the evacuation has been handled badly. 84% of Republicans said the Afghanistan evacuation was handled very or somewhat badly, while a majority of Democrats, 55%, agreed, as did 76% of independents. Now, this is a YouGov America poll. This is bad news for Democrats. This is why you're seeing all these local Democrats in our area coming out and saying, hey, listen, you got to you got to knock this off here. This is terrible. We need to go to we, you got to give us another. You need to we got to go to the 31st. OK. We got to get it. Uh, Afghan ally trapped in Kabul says, even if he dies, I will never regret it. There's a very emotional interview. Uh, Jen Wilson, the chief operating officer of Army Week Association, joined uh, by video. She was a witness to the explosion outside the airport of the Afghan capital on Thursday. And she said that, well, here, take a, look, take a quick listen to this. This is good stuff here. With us now by telephone, we are calling him Carl. He's in Kabul. He has made multiple attempts to leave that country. Jen Wilson, the COO of Army Week Association, she's working from her apartment in New York City to help Afghan interpreters leave the country, working day and night. Jen, welcome back. We spoke with you on Monday. We wanted to bring you back today. But first, the Carl, if you can hear me okay. 24 hours ago, right about now, you, you were describing to us that awful scene at the gate at the airport in Kabul. And you told us about a five-year-old child who had died in your arms. And you were the first one, Carl, to tell us about American casualties. How are you doing today? Where are you today? And are you any closer to catching one of the last planes out? Uh, thanks a lot for having me. I'm in Kabul, just over my safe house. Yesterday, I have, yesterday was the first time that I've tried to reach out to the Marines so I can go on the other side of the canal and get on one of those planes and get out. So I was right over at that spot when when the explosion happened, but I was like 50 minutes away from the people. So it, it was crowded. It was like thousands and thousands of people over there, and I was pushing everyone away so I can reach the first line and speak with them and read and have them to take the learn side. When the explosion happened, 
So everybody started running and stuff, but I was pushing my truth towards explosion because I knew that there would be casualties. There was a woman, she was crying, and there was a baby that was landing on the ground, so I went for <laughs> her. I grabbed her, I put her on my shoulder, I ran back to the vehicle, I put her in the vehicle, I tried to get her to the hospital, we got in a bad traffic, I got out of the vehicle again and took her on my shoulder. There's so many stories like this, too. So many stories like this. Who, so who's behind this, this ISIS-K group? And today on, on uh, the morning show, I had on uh, David Asher, who's brilliant in, in understanding all this. And the Haqqani, the Haqqani network, Haqqani was this guy, this Pakistani guy. He, he, he runs the Taliban now. He runs it. And we're not acknowledging that. We're still lying. Ned Price, the State, the State Department spokesman, is still lying, pretending like it's, they're separate entities. And that's not true. Haqqani... And the Taliban are connected. The Haqqani Network and the Taliban are absolutely connected, despite the lies coming out of the State Department again today. My, my second question has to do with security around the airport. Um, yesterday, General McKenzie said that the Defense Department is sharing versions of information with the Taliban, and there, there's some coordination on security. Does that coordination extend to members of the Haqqani Network who are also providing security? No, uh, it does not. Uh, the Taliban and the Haqqani Network are separate entities. That's not true. That's a lie. It's, a, it's just a, gi- a gigantic lie. Absolutely lie. <laughs> oh, man, I'll tell you what. <clears throat> One of the amazing things that occurred today was a question about the, the first dog. From the, the first dog. Uh, New York Post reporter Stephen Nelson asking about the dog. I don't, I don't, I, I, I understand about White House transparency. I do. I get it. I understand about White House transparency. But I wish I could have pulled him aside and been like, dude, listen, listen, listen. You, you can't, you, this is not, just not the time for it. We know this administration lies about freaking everything. But get, but get them on something else. Use the time to get them on something else. Go after them about their lies, about, about, uh, about all the other lies, about the Taliban and everything else. We get it. They're lying about the dog, too. They're lying about everything. I get it. Everybody knows that. They're friggin' liars. But it's like asking him about, oh, uh, you, you took the staples, and you're not being honest about the staples. This is, a, this is a missed opportunity here, and this is what frustrates me, because he's one of ours. I mean, New York Post reporter, he's one of ours. And this frustrates me here. Question, and my second question on the topic is, uh, yesterday the Conservative Transparency Group, Judicial Watch, released uh, Secret Service records on dog bites involving uh, the first dog, uh, Major. One email said that Secret Service agents were bitten every single day for eight days from March 1st to March 8th, and that a White House visitor was as well. Um, at a March 9th briefing, uh, you only described one biting incident to us and described the dogs as being carried, uh, whisked back to Delaware on a pre-planned trip to this family friends. Um, obviously, that is not the world's most important story, but it is significant because we expect honest information even for minor stories. Um, so can you explain to us why uh, there was a kind of misleading account presented to us? And if we can't get honest information about minor stories, why should we be in the administration's uh, account for larger issues like Afghanistan? I know you do keep the dog. It's a fair point. It's a fair point. I get it. But <clears throat> I would have rather had you say uh something on the, the Taliban or something else because y- you you need to go after her on that right now because there are Americans trapped behind Taliban lines right now and and ask the dog question next week they're pulling out on the 31st so ask the damn dog question next week it can wait it can wait you know what I'll, I'll answer the question too because they're they're freaking liars about everything they're liars that's why there I just answered the question for you 
he's young. He's a young guy, and he knows this will go viral. He's smart that way. Everybody's going to be talking about the dog question. Not a dumb guy. Obviously, he's a reporter of the New York Post. Smart guy. I just, I just think of that moment. You got to, you, you just got to, you got to go after her and the fact of and the lies that are being said about the Haqqani Network and the Taliban and how they're not together and everything else that's being said. Ryan Mannion, again, today saying it on the show, American citizens are not being allowed to cross because of the Taliban. They're stopping them. A family from Philadelphia, they're being stopped. And this is going on. More and more of this is happening right now. Uh, I want to tell you about the U.S. service members killed in the Kabul airport attack because it just came out a short time ago. The identities of the 13 U.S. service members who were killed by an ISIS-K suicide bomber. Uh, the, the, the names of one Navy corpsman and five Marines have been released. By the time you hear this podcast, more, more may be coming out. But uh, Maxton Soviak, a Navy hospital corpsman, uh, hailed from Berlin Heights, Ohio, and graduated from Edison High School in, uh, in Milan in 2017. I say cor- corpsman, I say corpsman. Sorry, it's been a long, long day. I'm not going with a lot of sleep here. Navy corpsman. A uh, woman who identified himself as Soviak's oldest sister uh, goes by Marilyn Soviak on Instagram, penned a heartbreaking post on Friday that confirmed her brother's death. Very sad. Uh, while in high school, he was on the honor roll and football team. Very young guy. Worked as a lifeguard. Karim Nakawi was from Norco, California. His father didn't realize his son had been killed until a clutch of Marines showed up at his door. He says, I haven't gone to bed all night. The heartbroken dad told the outlet. I'm still in shock. He loved the Marine Corps. He was so devoted. And the father criticized President Biden's sloppy withdrawal from Afghanistan, saying he didn't expect his, his son to be in this situation. They sent my son over there as a paper pusher and then have the Taliban outside providing security. I blame my own military leaders. Biden turned his back on him. That's it said the grieving video. The day before Kareem Nakawi was killed, he sent a video to his dad that showed him talking with Afghan children and giving them candy at the Kabul airport. He was born the same year it started and ended his life with the end of this war. He was born in 2001. So many people we found have been, went to Afghanistan in the year this started. and or, or I'm sorry, there were kids when this started. And uh, they wound up being there as adults, obviously. David Lee Espinoza, 20-year Marine from Laredo, Texas. Marine killed in Afghanistan. Riley McCollum from Wyoming was on his first deployment. He was determined to be in the infantry. He uh, He wanted to be a history teacher and a wrestling coach when he finished serving his country. He was a tough, kind, loving kid. Jared Schmitz was a Lance Corporal from St. Charles County, Missouri. Hunter Lopez, 22 years old, a Marine. He was assigned to the 2nd Battalion, 1st Marines. And uh, the statement that was released by his family says the following. Oh, no, who, who put this out? Again, a lot of this information is coming in. Oh, I'm sorry, the Riverside Sheriff's Association. Put this out. Hunter was the victim of a vicious evil and was killed because he wore a United States Marine uniform with love and pride. Our entire community feels the anguish and we mourn the death of Hunter, the statement said. Like his parents who serve our community, being a Marine to Hunter wasn't a job, it was a calling. He loved his family and we grieve for Hunter and his fellow Marines taken from us too soon. There are simply no words to express how deeply he will be missed. Very, very sad. Uh, Let me uh, mention before I I conclude here, because it's Friday and it's been a long week for all of us, but... um, 
I think the one thing that that we can all agree on is what Leon Panetta said today, is that our work in Afghanistan is not finished now because of how bad this is. He says, look, the bottom line is this. We can leave a battlefield in the war on terrorism, but frankly, we cannot leave the war on terrorism. We still face terrorists around the world, whether it's al-Qaeda, whether it's ISIS, whether it's Boko Haram, whether it's al-Shabaab. We're all going to have to deal with them. And, uh, and right now, Afghanistan has now become, I think, the epicenter of all this. The same thing is going to be true with al-Qaeda. I think the likelihood is that al-Qaeda will reestablish itself with the Taliban. We're going to have to go after al-Qaeda. So the work in Afghanistan is not finished. We're going to have to find ways to go after terrorists wherever they are. And I'll just say that this botched withdrawal has only emboldened the terrorists. And I think everybody can agree on that point. But my friend Johnny sent me a note about uh, the chaplain at Harvard. It's <laughs> to end on a little bit of a lighter note. So Harvard University, the epicenter of leftist indoctrination, has a new chaplain. The chaplain is an atheist. Duh. I mean, obviously, what do you think? They're going to get a chaplain there who actually believed in God? Should we hear the NPR Morning Edition update on this? Shall we? Here we go. Support for NPR mm-hmm. and the following mm-hmm. message comes, comes from, from the House of Roll, whose Rio Bell kitchen and bath fixtures combine European and North American traditions. Oh, skip Hit it. the play button below to learn why Vice President Luc Lefebvre believes the I kitchen and bath industry care. shares I DNA with care. the fashion industry. I don't industry. care. I don't care. Okay, go ahead. Good morning. I'm Steve Inskeep. Harvard has a new chief chaplain. Mm. Let's tick through the resume here. Greg Epstein started with the university in 2005, so he knows the organization. He's the author of Good Without God, so he's published. And he's an atheist. <laughs> in his new role, Epstein will oversee the activities I of can't. all religious communities on campus. I can't. His personal beliefs or disbelief don't seem to be an issue. The vote by his fellow chaplains was unanimous. It's morning edition. It's 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 and crazy edition. It's crazy beyond. edition. All right, that's it. Thank you for listening today. I appreciate it very very much. I got to uh, I got to make sure that the music is not too loud here. I've gotten some feedback about that. So I'll do that right now. Uh, in all seriousness, have a great weekend. God bless all of these families, these Gold Star families who are dealing with this loss, and uh, every other soldier, troop that is there, airman, marine, naval officer who's there on the ground in Afghanistan. God bless them. Let's hope it's a better weekend, but. White House is saying terror threats are imminent, so who knows? Either way, I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Let me know. Feedback, always appreciated. Make sure you hit the subscribe button, all right? God bless America. Have a good weekend.